it doesn't take much research to find that, you know, T-Rex was probably a predator. It doesn't have the types of adaptations you'd expect to see in a scavenger. It has tons of adaptations that you'd expect to see in a predator and things like that is pretty easy to find. But other times you do have to dig a little bit deeper when you're looking for a question that isn't as popular as T-Rex. Podcast Junkies, episode 286. So close to 300. Welcome back. I'm your host, Larry Duran. If you are new, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the show where we search out interesting voices that are doing interesting things with interesting podcasts and get them to kick back their interesting heels and talk about their interesting shows. I'm feeling a little goofy tonight. Last week's episode, talk about interesting. Jack Stafford, host of Pod Songs, started talking about podcasting and went down a crazy rabbit hole of spirituality, which is right up my alley. So that was fun, 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 fun for me. And some of those little uh, surprises that you never expect on podcast episodes. And I was pleasantly surprised. And those are the things that I really, really uh, look out for. And they really uh, opened my heart up. So, so excited. And I hope you heard it. If you haven't, Jack Stafford, Pot Songs 285, check it out. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. This week, in the realm of interesting shows about interesting topics, I get to speak to Garrett and Sabrina. They're the host of I Know Dino or Dino, husband and wife team. They're dinosaur enthusiasts, in case you haven't figured it out. They're behind I Know Dino, a big dinosaur podcast that covers news, interviews, and discussions about, wait for it, dinosaurs. They love dinosaurs so much that they even had a dinosaur-themed wedding. They love connecting with fellow dinosaur enthusiasts from around the world. In this episode... We talk about their passion, the lost art of research, and the amazing and thoughtful community they've built through this show. They share their thoughts on dinosaur culture and how they're showcased in TV and film, how they approach sponsorships, which is a really interesting topic, why they chose to set up a Patreon account, and their plans for the future. Really, really fun. I always get to push my interview skills a little bit when I get to speak to two people at the same time, because I always make it a point to ensure both hosts are engaged in the conversation, which is uh, keeps me on my toes, to say the least. Definitely in the need of a few ratings and reviews. So if you've sent one in and I just haven't gotten to it, we'll get those queued up. Rate this podcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I love reading these out and I will do so on future episodes. No new boostograms have come in since we've last connected. If you are feeling a little experimental and want to test out the new apps at newpodcastapps.com. Don't forget our show is listed there, Podcast Junkies, my show. Uh, leave us a boostergram that is a donation in the form of Satoshis, a Bitcoin micropayment. The best part about it is that there's a little box there where you can leave a message directly to me. Uh, shout out to Dave Jones for helping me test out some of that with our last call and I uh, do got, need to get Dave on the show. Again, newpodcastapps.com. Make sure your podcast is set up on the value for value block, and you can learn more at podcastindex.org. A lot of geeky technical stuff and some new tech that I'm going to be testing out, specifically an Umbral server, which is going to allow me to set up my wallet locally here on my uh, in my home, and I'm going to 
have fun geeking out with that sort of tech. It's something that I haven't done in a while. I remember back in the days of the Gateway 2000s, building the ideal PC with uh, hard drives and, and, and piecing it together in a way so you can get the best uh, machine, best bang for your buck. And so it harkens back to that a little bit. So I'm going to have to piece together this machine using a Raspberry Pi and some other stuff that I have to do a little bit more research about. But uh, I've seen and heard Dave talk about it and, and Adam on the show. Podcasting 2.0, which is one of my favorites and must listens to every week. And it's inspired me to give that a shot. So many interesting things happening in the world of podcasting. It's hard to keep up. One of the projects we are working on is called The Podosphere. Head on over to thepodosphere.com. Partnering up with a co-founder. His name is Brad. And uh, we're doing some interesting things there. It's early days. It's uh, probably what you'd call a beta, but thepodosphere.com. It's the one-stop marketplace for all things podcasting. Any companies, any resources, anyone in the podcasting space is going to be listed there. And companies will be able to claim their profile. So give it a look-see. And uh, if your company is listed there, make sure you claim it, which should be working as of this conversation. And if you have any questions, by all means, harry at podcastjunkies.com. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week. So Garrett and Sabrina, host of I Know Dino, thank you for both joining me on Podcast Junkies. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, Sabrina, was were you the first one to reach out? I think we started this as an email conversation, if I remember I correctly. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was um, a few months ago because we were, well, we had just listened to a few of your episodes and your interviews. They always sounded so fun and informative. So I thought, well, why well, not reach nice out? that's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find the show? I'm always curious about that as well. Oh, okay. Let's see. This is a few months ago. My memory is terrible these days. Uh, try it. I want it. It's very likely it was on a list somewhere, but I, I don't think I could tell you which list at this point. <laughs> a list, of, the meta list of podcasts about podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and I'm also curious as to how you discover podcasts, because it's one of the things we talk about a lot in podcasts and discoverability, discoverability, and we have a discoverability problem. But you and Garrett, feel free to chime in as well. I'm just curious, as a consumer of podcasts, how you find new content and discover new shows. Yeah, we should probably listen to more new shows. I usually find them by either recommendations, like friends recommend it, or I listen to a podcast and there's some sort of crossover of sorts where there's somebody on and they say, oh, I also have this other podcast. And then I might switch over and listen to that podcast as well. I think that's usually how I do it. Recently, we've joined a few newsletters, too, that curate lists and they've been good. Yeah. In the early days, when I didn't have a really long list of podcasts I was already listening to, <laughs> it was yeah. mostly through like Google. And sometimes I would go to, I think I usually used the Apple Podcasts charts, even though I'm on Android, I would still go to their list because they just have a more complete list of things. So I'd be like, what are the top science podcasts? And look through those and see if any of them struck my interest. It's fascinating to hear because uh, we own an agency, uh, Fullcast, we, we do done-for-you podcast production for clients, and, and it's always a question they have about discoverability. I may even pull out this that, that first snippet <laughs> for promo purposes just to remind people of all the different ways of people 
using tools to discover podcasts and the fact that you're an android and look searching on apple is awesome and, <laughs> <laughs> and funny too so thanks for sharing that so talk to me a little bit about what came first whether it's your passion as podcast listeners or your love of dinosaurs well for us it was we we were already dating and then we went to a dinosaur museum and we we're like oh i i really like dinosaurs and we sort of rekindled our love of dinosaurs together from when we were kids we were obsessed yeah <laughs> so we were proud we were like those nerdy dinosaur obsessed kids that like knew all the dinosaur names and all the little facts about them and everything but both of us totally forgot about dinosaurs when we were teenagers and didn't do anything with them in college and then after graduating college and moving to the East Coast together, we like went to the American Museum of Natural History. And we're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> these are so cool. <laughs> yeah. Then we ended up having a dinosaur themed wedding. Wow. And, uh, at that point, started getting into podcasts and thought, well, we don't want to stop talking about dinosaurs. So we started our own. Yeah. we were. I was also looking for a podcast because there are so many dinosaur discoveries and none of the podcasts I listened to covered all of them. But I would see like every once in a while one would break its way above, you know, the other headlines and you'd see like, oh, there was this new dinosaur discovered and here's some cool things about it. And if you looked a little farther, you'd see, oh, there were a bunch of other new dinosaurs discovered, but there weren't any podcasts I could find that actually covered them. So yeah. then we were like, okay, maybe we should start it's, a podcast. It's funny. I actually I was starting to do research for our best of 2021 episode and I was wondering like, okay, how many dinosaur discoveries did we talk about this year? And I think it might be all but like seven episodes and we're weekly podcasts that we didn't specifically talk about a new dinosaur discovery. <laughs> do you have a, a segment on the show specifically for new discoveries? We do. We start every show with news because there is always a lot of news. It's surprising since, you know, they've been extinct for 66 million years. But <laughs> there's so much research going on that there's always news. Sometimes it's, you know, like museums. Sometimes it's somebody found something in the field. And other times it's a, a brand new dinosaur that's been described. But when there is a new dinosaur, that's like the we just start the news with that. But like Sabrina said, it's like, I think there's about 50 discovered a year. And we do a weekly podcast, so it works out to, on average, about one a week. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there were some episodes I was noticing we had up to three. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lots of jumping off points there. So I'm going <laughs> to try to keep this as chronological as possible. Who's got the best version of how you guys met? Oh, I have no idea. I think we have pretty much the same version. <laughs> oh, we've been together, what, 13 years now? Okay. So yeah. it's. <laughs> Who wants to volunteer the, the story there? I guess I noticed Sabrina before she noticed me, so maybe my story is more complete okay. by a few seconds. So <laughs> we were going to college at the University of California, Santa Barbara, which has a lot of parties, and Sabrina lived in a house that was on the beach, and in Santa Barbara, all those houses throw It was an parties. unspoken rule. You had to throw lots of parties if you lived on that street. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, it turned out that my roommate... And my best friend were having their birthday party because their birthday is really close on Sabrina at Sabrina's apartment. But I didn't know Sabrina yet. They just knew one of her other roommates. And so when I went there for the party and I got after being in the party for a couple minutes, I heard Sabrina's laugh from across <laughs> the room because she has a very deep belly laugh, which is okay. <laughs> easy to pick out of a crowd. And I was like, something fun's happening over there. I want to see what's happening. And then it turned out to be Sabrina playing foosball. And so we started playing foosball together and the rest is history. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Any additional color on that, Sabrina? Well, it was a highlighter party, so we switched out all the lights for black lights, and we said, everybody wear a white t-shirt, and we passed out <laughs> highlighters to draw on each other. That's yes. awesome. <laughs> so Sabrina had glasses, highlighter glasses drawn on her face at the time. <laughs> well, th- that definitely makes it memorable. So it's a, That's a fun story. Thank you for sharing. Is this the first time you, you guys have worked on a project together? Possibly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably. We did start it as a website like a year or two before it became a podcast. So that was probably the first thing we worked on together. But it was still, it's all I know, Dino, so it's the same. Yes. Yeah, I think that is the main. Were there any concerns about, because <laughs> naturally, <laughs> you know, being at home with my partner, we're, we both work from home. She's a photographer and actually has a podcast as well. So, so. Yeah, it's called Photo Business Help. <laughs> it's interesting to, to to find that balance, when, especially when both folks work from home, although we have different offices and office space. I think um, keeping an eye on, you know, how you separate that from time together that's not work-related, but also you could have different work styles and having worked on projects together with my partner where we tend to but heads occasionally on certain topics. I'm just curious if you, how much thought you guys gave to that and what that has been since you've been working together on the show. I'd say in the beginning, no thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was a, it was a slow creep, right? Because we started out, it was like a website. We wrote a couple blog posts and then eventually we started the podcast and we both still had full-time jobs. So we, even though we would come together to work on the podcast, we weren't like in each other's faces all the time. Right. It was a do it at the end of the day kind of thing. But now we both work on the podcast full time and we definitely have a little bit of different working styles. Yeah. And, and, and yes, we've butted a couple of times. Or it's, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's kind of hard, especially when you're working from home and you get so caught up and then all of a sudden it's midnight and you're still working. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know why. <laughs> the time management part of it is by far the hardest, which got way more difficult with COVID as well. Because it's like, sure. you know, we used to have it where we'd be planning to go out with friends at like 5 p.m. a lot of the time. And then so that would force us into a sort of schedule that would, you know, keep us on track and stuff. But with COVID, we're really night owls. So like last night, we were up to like 4 a.m. And that just sort <laughs> of gets shifting more and more. So. That's something we need to work on. That is definitely <laughs> something to work on. Okay. And then we have a little bit different styles. So like and you and your partner, we often have different like spaces we're working. And so Sabrina's often in the living room and then I'm often in the office. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter if one of us wants the TV on and one of us wants to be listening to music or yes. things like that. And so is, is the project and the podcast full time for you both now? Yes. Yes. Okay. As of this year. For okay. Congratulations. Thanks. So talk a little bit about that journey. I'm always curious, you know, you, you mentioned you, you did have the website and obviously you had the passion in the topic. What were you listening to or what was inspiring you as you started to think about the format for the show? Yeah, there's a, there are a few podcasts that I really liked and I liked how they handled both the scientific side of things, but also had made it fun and I think at the time, the two podcasts I was listening to the most were Twit, which is This Week in Tech. It's Leo Laporte. It's all about, you know, technology. And I like the way they did the news. It was sort of like a panel. Actually, the whole show is news. And then the other one I listened to a lot is called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And they talk about all sorts of sciencey things. And I probably wouldn't have even 
wanted to start this podcast if they covered all the dinosaurs because that's <laughs> basically what I was looking for is just like I want them to cover more dinosaurs but <laughs> since they weren't we yeah we started it so it's sort of I guess mostly in those sorts of styles so we have like the sort of freeform talking news but with a lot of science focus in it and a lot of we try to include like critical thinking stuff as well. So we'll we'll talk about why we think something and sort of what the level of certainty is and how likely it is to change in the future, things like that. Yeah. And then there's the interview segments. We don't have interviews every episode, but but uh, pretty often we talk to paleontologists and artists and other people who work with dinosaurs, uh, even in unexpected ways. Like one of the really memorable ones was a person who, who does dinosaur dances, mm-hmm. for example. So What's that? <laughs> It's like he did this entire project where he or he spent some time in Indonesia kind of learning and mimicking. Is that the word? M- mimicking like chicken dancing? Yeah, there are people movements. that live really closely with their chickens and they have these like spiritual dances. Wow. And some of them are less spiritual and they're just like, you know, for fun with the chickens and stuff. And so he learned all these dances and then sort of because dinosaurs or birds are dinosaurs – so if you're trying to figure out what a dinosaur, especially a dinosaur with two legs, might have moved and acted like, using a bird as a model is a pretty good place to start. So he, yeah, so he just used the bird dance, turned it into a dinosaur <laughs> dance. Adapted, yeah. <laughs> Can you recall what the strangest conversation you've had on the show is? I'm not sure. I think, I think the dinosaur dance one is okay. up there. Yeah, yeah. For memorable ones, there's a lot of paleontologists that we've gotten to speak to who we wouldn't have imagined ever, like they're like basically celebrities to us, which is super cool. That's probably like the most memorable ones. Like our one, it didn't even end up on the show, but at a paleontology conference we went to because of the show, we got to meet a guy named Bob Bacher, who was basically the guy that Jurassic Park is based on. Alan Grant's character. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of an amalgamation of a few people, but he's the guy that really popularized the idea that dinosaurs weren't slow, cold-blooded, lumbering monsters, that they were like quick and exciting. Interesting. Yeah. We've also talked to a few people who've worked on the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies, which is very interesting. And and just kind of after doing this for seven years, we have found a way to connect dinosaurs to any conversation (laughs) (laughs) and even just talking to people in our interviews there's so many ways that it can go like uh, lately we've been talking to people about decolonization of science and what that means and then there's also uh, dinosaurs in literature from the 1800s and (laughs) how that's affect our perception of them and pop culture today and there's so many ways you can go with this What's the, the, it's so many things that open up. I'm I'm sure I'm asking questions that I probably never asked on a previous podcast interview. So (laughs) (laughs) what's the oldest known documentation of dinosaurs? Do you mean the oldest like person that found one or the oldest? Yeah, I'm curious as to like, who was like, who's talking about, who was the first (laughs) folks documented talking about dinosaurs? So the guy that's usually cited as like the original dinosaur guy is Richard Owen because he okay. took three existing dinosaurs that were named by other people but weren't called dinosaurs yet. They were just like, these are animals that we've discovered. And then he lumped them together and said like, okay, these three together are special and they're related and they're, I'm going to call them dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in 1830-something, I want to say. So pretty long time ago, almost 200 years ago. 
Yeah, I think it's something people don't think about. Obviously, they were around millions of years ago, but you know, it's interesting to think about being a fly in the wall. The the moment someone gets an aha, that's not like a, a buffalo, or, yeah, <laughs> or it's just like you know that weird thing that must be going on. Someone, especially someone who's in science, has devoted their life to the study of this, to realize that they've they've stumbled onto something that's bigger than they could have ever imagined. Yeah. Definitely. Although, just to add on to that, there's a scrotum humanum. Humanum. <laughs> humanum, yes, which was found in the 1600s. I think it wasn't described till the 1700s, and they didn't know what it was. It turned out to be a megalosaurus bone, but at the time, you know, no one knew what a megalosaurus was or a dinosaur or anything, so they just thought, oh, must be this giant scrotum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. A lot of the early dinosaurs were like that, where they were found technically 100 or more years before they figured out that it was a dinosaur, or even that it was, you know, a large reptile, basically. But if you, you can go back farther if you talk about tracks, because okay. people have found dinosaur tracks all over the world for probably thousands of years, or as long as people have been around. And there are all these myths about giant like birds or giant people that have bird feet because there are these huge tracks and they clearly look like bird tracks because <laughs> bird feet and dinosaur feet look a lot alike in a lot of cases. And yeah, so there's all these really great stories. Like there's one of the Western Australian Aborigine groups described this giant emu man because, you know, they have emu and they're like, this looks like an emu track, but huge. So <laughs> that goes back way before Richard Owen, I'm sure. And if you look at an emu foot, too, it just looks like a dinosaur foot. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's it's my show, so I can curse. So I can only imagine what coming up, up upon that, if this is, you're someone like indigenous hundreds of years ago, that likely scared the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That's funny. So... Talk to me about the interview process. How much research do you do on your guests, or do you just know them well enough from having studied this this topic for so many years? Yeah, it depends. So, for example, my favorite dinosaur is called Ankylosaurus. It's a really short, tanky one it's often described as. It kind of looks like a giant turtle with a big club tail on the back of it. And there's a woman named Victoria Arbor who is a PhD expert on all that whole category. So I've known about her and her work basically since she was working on her PhD. Because, <laughs> We've had uh, her on the show a few times. Nice. <laughs> so Yeah, so when we're going to interview her, it's like, okay, I already have all the questions in my head that I've wanted to ask her for years now. Mm. So there's basically no prep necessary for that one. Right. But then sometimes there's, you know, somebody has come out with a new book recently. So mm -hmm. then we will read the book ahead of time so we can ask questions about that. Or uh, if it's a, spe a specific paper that we want to get really detailed on then we'll go through the paper ahead of time yeah and sometimes we get recommendations from people too like you should really talk to this person they're doing work with this so then we'll go through and read a lot of their work and figure out what sort of things they're comfortable talking with because one of the things when you're interviewing scientists is a lot of times if you start to broach outside of their area of expertise they don't really want to talk about it because it's not their expertise. Yeah, and they don't want to be wrong. You know, they're like, you should talk to this person. So you want to know what their wheelhouse is at a minimum. Yeah. Is it safe to say that neither of you were headed towards careers in the study of dinosaurs prior to beginning to <laughs> work on the site or work on the show? 
Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I worked in book publishing for a while, and then I was in software, so it was, it was very different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than paleontology. <laughs> yeah, and I was doing chemical engineering. So we both, and Sabrina also before that was created the science section for our college newspaper, recreated it, brought it back. So she had done a lot of science journalism. So we leaned on her knowledge about journalism and writing about science in our sort of when we were structuring the show and figuring out how we were going to phrase things and things like that. Okay. And when did the show start, first episode? January 2015, just wow. a few months before Jurassic World came out. Wow. So it was very good timing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it, renewed interest in dinosaurs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's actually how we got featured on Apple Podcasts the first time. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys, were you guys aware of the movie being, that was in production? Yes, it kind of the timing worked out really well because we got married a few months before that and had decided to start the podcast. And then I was like, oh, yes, and the movie's coming out. Great. Yeah. There'll be a lot to talk about. <laughs> it was very busy. We were, we had no free time in the beginning because we both had the full time jobs and we were doing two episodes a week in the beginning to try to get noticed by Apple. <laughs> really? And do you think that that's what helped? I think uh, that and being. Sp- specifically about dinosaurs helped because at the time there were other paleontology podcasts but nothing for dinosaurs only yeah i think they were looking for dinosaur stuff because of jurassic world Mm -hmm. got it when did you notice that it was picking up steam and people were starting to like engage with you was it just based strictly based on download or feedback from listeners i think it started with downloads we started seeing this uptick And then people also noticing that people were sticking around for multiple episodes. Then we started getting feedback. And then we started going on other podcasts. Yeah. So it's like it all kind of worked together. Yeah. And we started our Patreon page. And when we did that, I think that was about a year after we started. About six months. And we started, you know, building a community and then you get feedback directly from listeners and they would say really positive stuff that was was super motivating. So even if we didn't have huge download numbers, it was like, oh, these people really like the show and it, it gave us a lot of energy to keep going. Mm-hmm. What were some of the comments you were getting? We got a lot of people, we've had people tell us that like us, they've rediscovered their love of dinosaurs, they're adults like us. But then we've also had some students, one person I reached out a few years ago and said that they changed their major to paleontology after listening to our show, which was amazing. (laughs) And then we've had a few people who like to listen to their show with their kids or their grandkids. And they said, like, some of them will bribe, you know, the kids don't want to go on a long car ride. And they said, well, if you come in the car, then we'll put on I Know Dino. Oh, my God. (laughs) My favorite is, especially during COVID, we got a lot of messages that were like, I had a really hard day, but listening to your show really cheered me up and that always like uh, really motivates me yeah that's got to feel good definitely yeah Yeah, we've gotten almost no hate mail which is wonderful (laughs) it's a really great community and a little unexpected we figured at some point (laughs) yeah Yeah, so (laughs) there are but yeah they haven't bothered us fortunately (laughs) how about the contingent of folks who don't believe in dinosaurs yeah, we, I mean, we've gotten very, I don't know if any of them have really messaged us or said anything to us or about us that I know of. The The closest I had was we got an email from someone who found some, like, clearly fake, like, footprints overlapping with, like, human footprints and things like that. So they were just curious about it. And they're like, what do you think of this? And then <laughs> it's like, well, what do you think of it? You know, because we like to encourage the critical thinking. It's like, I don't, I think there's probably a better explanation than 
there was a human fossil record overlapping with dinosaurs that we've never found and just sort of going through it that way. And it was still a really positive conversation. So we've managed to, well, our interactions have been positive. And even if they start off with some more critical feedback, we, we end up having a conversation with them. And uh, occasionally we've even invited them on our show especially they, they were experts in their field, and then they can correct us, and we turned it into a, a really good conversation. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't there a park that shows humans with dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't been to any of them. We know about them. You should go incognito for the selfie, at least. <laughs> I guess we could. Yeah, just put on um, a costume, your best dinosaur costume. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's interesting that, uh, Gary, you mentioned this topic of critical thinking. I'm wondering, given the, the day and age that we're in, we're, this recording is of, as of December 9th, 2021. So it's an interesting and important skill, this idea of critical thinking and not always taking things at face value and, and just doing some research on your own. And it feels like it's a lost art. I don't know if, what you guys have seen or noticed as well. Yeah, we, for our show. So I mentioned the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. They often diverge a little bit into more politically charged things because, you know, they're about science in general. With dinosaurs, it's pretty easy to stick to just dinosaurs and get it in a less politically charged way. So we try to, we avoid politics like the plague as much as possible because we feel like dinosaurs are something that everybody enjoys and we'd rather just find common ground and talk about nice things it can be a nice escape and we see dinosaurs as like the gateway to science gateway to critical there's a lot of different lessons you can apply in ways to engage in critical thinking yeah i was gonna say just even questions like you know what color were dinosaurs okay well what do we know or what's the oldest dinosaur okay well where where can where in the world do we know have the oldest bones like in the formations and what kinds of animals might we find there like things like that yeah (laughs) So we like to emphasize sort of the scientific consensus on things is the easiest way with dinosaurs to talk about, you know, the critical thinking side of things. Because in dinosaurs, too, there's lots of people who will have like fringe hypotheses and just throw things out there and see, you know, how well they stick. So one really famous example is there was a hypothesis by a guy named Jack Horner that T-Rex wasn't a predator. It was actually a scavenger. And he's one of the other inspirations for Alan Grant. Yeah. So he's a very (laughs) famous person. And that hypothesis made its way into all sorts of TV shows and all sorts of places. And a lot of places reported it as fact and not just like a hypothesis that one scientist had. And it's still people ask all the time, like, was T-Rex a scavenger or a predator? Right, he's even taken it back. And he, yeah, he's <laughs> taken it back. But it's like sometimes these ideas make it out and it doesn't take much research to find that, you know, T-Rex was probably a predator. It doesn't have the types of adaptations you'd expect to see in a scavenger. It has tons of adaptations that you'd expect to see in a predator. So you can get and some and things like that is pretty easy to find. But other times, you do have to dig a little bit deeper when you're looking for a question that isn't as popular as T-Rex. And so we always talk about, you know, you want to go to primary sources, you want to find the journal article, hopefully it's from a reputable peer-reviewed journal, and then look at what their evidence is and if other people agree with it or not. And if it isn't reported in any journal, it's probably <laughs> not much of a <laughs> hypothesis at this point. That makes sense. <laughs> 
I'm also wondering when you started to see that there might be an opportunity to engage with sponsors and, and supporters. And did you set up the Patreon right away or that came later? That came about six months in, mostly because we didn't know if people would be willing to pay. <laughs> I don't know if we knew about Patreon, because when we, even when we signed up for Patreon, it was still fairly early, because that was 2015. Yeah, but I think they'd been around for a little while at that point. Yeah. For sponsors, that one, actually, it was like a light bulb moment when we were talking to a friend who knew much more about marketing than us <laughs> yeah. at the time, and we were planning on going on a road trip around parts of Canada and the, well, Montana, Montana, like the Badlands, where there's a lot of dinosaur museums. And she said, well, why don't you ask the museums to see if they want to sponsor you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, while you're there. While you're there, yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So we did, very awkwardly, because the first few times we, you know, felt shy about it. But it worked out. A few of them did become our sponsors. And then from then on, it's just, it's kind of our... Our whole thing now is, oh, we might as well ask. Yeah. Yeah, and then we that forced us to learn how we would do a sponsorship. And then once you know how, it's easier to have, you know, you've got your ideas in place. And then when people occasionally email us and they want to know what are your advertising rates or how to sponsor your pork and things like that, we've got an answer ready. And how was that experience for you? Because it's interesting when, you know, people obviously are interested in, in monetizing. And then it is every podcaster's dream to start a show and then have it turn into something that's that's full time for them. So how did you think about those relationships with those early sponsors? I think if I saw right on the Patreon page, you do is it based on CPM or is it based on episodes? For our, for the Patreon or for the monetizing, like advertising? Yeah, overall. Yeah, I guess maybe speak to both of those. Okay. So for our Patreon, we do it on a monthly thing, which is pretty much the same thing as if we were doing it per piece of content, because we always release an episode every week. But we have bonus content, too. Yeah, we try to do at least one piece of bonus content a month, usually every other episode, because we'll do like extended interviews and things. And what else do we do for our patrons? It, depending on which tier you're at, you get different things. Like uh, some of them, we'll give them our dinosaur books that we've written. Another one is like some piece of physical art that we've created, especially for this tier. Yeah, the best thing I think was the Discord integration with Patreon, because you can use the Discord then as like a jumping off point for all sorts of different things. It's so much easier to have like a watch party and you can chat together in the discord or you can set up like a, a Q&A or what we'll do when we're about to interview a famous paleontologist we'll say in the discord we're about to interview this person post your questions and it's just a really easy way to connect with the community and I that's my favorite place right now is our discord because it's so <laughs> positive and wonderful and it always motivates that's me that's great <laughs> yeah because the people that would be in there were, were people that are fans of the show and you know I want to engage with you guys further Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no trolling whatsoever because you have to pay to get in there and paying to troll this defeats the whole purpose. <laughs> is that a feature that Patreon has in terms of connection to Discord? Because I did see that on your page. There was a link at the bottom. It's something you can turn on. Yep. Yeah, it's totally free because Discord is free and yeah. it's, it's a free integration on Patreon. Yeah, it's pretty, it's easy. And then it's fun. Everyone can pick their dinosaur names and that's nice. their name in the server. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so the popular ones go fast, I'm sure. Oh, people get very creative. Uh, there's ways to mash up your actual name with a dinosaur name. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm Sabrinosaurus. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, what's yours, Garrett? I don't know what, oh, I, get, I usually just do like Dino Garrett. Okay. 
but it's like there are there are dinosaur names that would match with Garrett, but they're like pretty obscure and yeah. weird. So I haven't <laughs> I haven't done it. How about Garex? Could do yeah, Garex. Could do Garex. <laughs> if that's not already taken, you have to check. I feel like I need a dino name by the time this conversation's over. <laughs> <laughs> And so what's it like? It was interesting. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of having a community that is started as fans of the show and then is willing to in, invest, you know, their money to, to sort of go deeper with you guys and, and what that experience has been like? The community is definitely, I think, both of our favorite parts. Yeah. And it's it's the most rewarding. It's the, you know, some days it feels harder to get the show out and then you you just log into Discord or you read some of the messages people have sent. It's like, oh, yes, this is why we're doing it. Okay, yep. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I literally did that yesterday because we were going to record an episode and I was feeling like, oh, we have so much to cover. Like, this is a little overwhelming. And then I was like, let me check the Discord. And there was a whole conversation about we had been talking about how whales are the largest carnivores on Earth, not even related to dinosaurs, and how no one thinks of whales as carnivores, but they're, like, ruthless. <laughs> so that just, I was like, yes, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also willing to give us a lot of great feedback, too, mm -hmm. and tell us, uh, you know, what, where we can improve, what they might be looking for, what, how we can add even more value to them. And some of them are super helpful. Like we have a museum map on our website. That's actually the very first thing we did with our website was try to make a map of all the dinosaur museums around the world. Oh, wow. And we have a couple listeners that just give us tons of information. And I even gave them a format to fill it out in. And they fill it out in that format and I can upload it really easily. And yeah, it's amazing that they're willing to help like that. That's really interesting. And then have you done live events? Yes, we started to this year, maybe in the last year, we've done a few live Q&As. We've done where we combined, one of them was we started doing these watch parties over the pandemic. And after one of the watch parties, we, we've watched this documentary by this couple and they agreed to do a live Q&A with us after. So we got to do like a bonus thing with them. And then we've done, let's see, we've done Q&As with ourselves, just ourselves. We've also done live streams of uh, Garrett playing some of the dinosaur games. And then you kind of talk about, you know, okay, these dinosaurs are accurate or <laughs> this is this is likely how they may or may not have behaved. <laughs> yeah, this is not at all realistic. Yeah, so I think everything, most of the live things we've done have been digital. We did do some in-person live things right before we you know, locked down. So we were in Australia for a paleontology conference at the end of 2019. And we did a road trip and we did meetups in each city along the way. Well, not every city, because some of them were in the middle of nowhere that had like 30 people in the city. But <laughs> we did these meetups and we got to meet a whole bunch of listeners. And that was super amazing. Very cool. What do you think is you're having planned or what's next in terms of like how, where do you want to expand? Is it to do more events? Is it books? Is it other media? I'm just curious, as you think about your roadmap for 2022, what that looks like? It's a little bit of everything at this point, and <laughs> yeah. we do need to narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we do. So Sabrina is an author, and so she likes writing books and has two or three of them <laughs> that she's working on right now. And so... Yeah, we've started to do some more video content. Okay, mm -hmm. we've gotten a lot of feedback. People want more videos. And are the episodes themselves videotaped? No. Well, okay. No, they're available on YouTube, but it's not a 
true video, I would say. It's just a static image of like the dinosaur of the day, usually with the podcast yeah. underneath. It's just for people that want to listen to the podcast, but want to use YouTube. We do have some shorter videos, but we're trying to work on, on a few more. And then uh, Jurassic World Dominion is coming out next year. So we're trying to figure out what's the best way to talk about it and get some special content around that. Yeah, that's pretty much the main thing I would say for 2022 because <laughs> it comes out right in the middle of the year. So leading up to it, it's like, you know, let's cover all the dinosaurs we think are going to be in that movie that we haven't covered before, or maybe update on them. And then afterwards, obviously, we can talk a lot about it as well. Is that going to be a complete reboot or is that a continuation of some sort? Or? It's the third in the, they call it the Jurassic World series. series. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's supposedly it's the last. There's So then you've got the three in Jurassic Park and the three in Jurassic World. But I don't know. It feels like they could expand or who knows in 10 years if there's it's, something else. Yeah, it could definitely be a jumping off point for more things because it's basically like the end of the previous movie is like dinosaurs get released into the wild. And they've done a couple little shorts in between when that movie came out a couple of years ago and now of like... What it's like with <laughs> yeah, modern people with... <laughs> interacting yeah, with these dinosaurs. Like they did, what was it, like a 10-minute short of some campers and there was oh, like yeah, a Battle triceratops type dinosaur. Uh, Nazutoceratops, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So how many Jurassic movies have there been? So this will be the sixth. There were three Jurassic Park movies, and then they took a long break, and then there have been two Jurassic Worlds so far. But then you've got that short film, and then you've got Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, that animated series <laughs> that is apparently, or it's supposed to be in between the movies and leading up to this new one. Yeah, well, they've they've done multiple seasons of it in like the last year. They're really cranking this show out. So the first one was before the first Jurassic World and I think they're up to like the third or fourth season now. Mm-hmm. So it's like they've gone through all the timeline of all the movies, basically all the Jurassic World movies in like a year and a half since right, they started they're, making the now show. Now this next season's hinting at what's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. And did you guys say you had spoken to folks, the product, the folks who were, who were producing those films at some point? A couple of them. Okay. Yes. Glenn McIntosh, who was one of the artists where, okay. for, um, for Jurassic Park 3. He started on Jurassic Park 3, but he also worked on Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom. And uh, Phil Tippett, who was on the original Jurassic Park. Yeah. He's a really, in animation land, Phil Tippett is a huge name. So one of my brother-in-laws is big into animation. I was like, have you heard of Phil Tippett? He was like, oh my God, you're talking to Phil Tippett. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Because he did the, uh, he used to do stop motion. So he did stop motion dinosaurs before CGI was a thing. Oh, that's cool. And then they made the first Jurassic Park. They didn't know how to animate them. So they actually animated them using stop motion and then digitally put the model on top of it. So he came up with the whole system for that and everything. It's really amazing. What's the earliest movie that had dinosaurs in it? The first animated thing ever was basically a dinosaur. <laughs> Gertie the dinosaur that was what 1910 I think wow thereabouts oh yeah 1914 yeah 1914 1914 yeah wow, so animated then you've got the last world the silent film in 1925 yeah that's like the first big thing and then King Kong was like I think in 33 yeah that was like a huge milestone because they used all sorts of really fancy technology there too and it it brought them to life, probably. The Lost World did, too. Mm-hmm. But I think King Kong was a lot of people's sort of... 
There's a lot of paleontologists now who got into it because of Jurassic Park. The Lost World and King Kong were like that for people in the 30s. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yes, it must have been like something that's caught the world by, you know, by storm, and everyone just <laughs> fascinated by these creatures that up, up until that point no one even knew existed. Yeah, and they did a great job of depicting them as like you know active predators and things like that too. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, Flintstones. What's that? What kind of dinosaur is that? I think Dino might be a sauropod, right? Or like okay. a a baby baby brontosaurus. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of unclear. Yeah, because it's clearly like a dog. but purple (laughs) so i don't know what they're going for i always thought it was supposed to be like a hadrosaur like a duckbill dinosaur oh it could be but it doesn't those are usually bipedal and they have two legs especially at their size so i think a sauropod might be a better guess yeah and it does have like a little longer neck doesn't it Mm -hmm. a long tail (laughs) yeah so i think sabrina's right but yeah it's a very dog-like one yeah that's funny (laughs) i'm wondering also What's surprising for me is that there's so many that are still being discovered. So is that just a function of more people searching or, you know, maybe tied into this, you know, what what we're seeing with like interest in like uncovering lost civilizations. And so you're finding more information or like, how does that, that happen? I think it's a combination of things. You've got more people who want to be paleontologists because of movies basically jurassic park jurassic park (laughs) but also the technology has gotten better i mean it's not that easy to find a fossil but it is we we have better tools now to excavate and prepare it and study them and then all these areas of the world that were previously people weren't searching for fossils are now becoming much like better places to go yeah oh that's true yeah the like globalization of paleontology and the fact that lots of countries that previously didn't, didn't have a paleontology program now are getting paleontologists in those countries. So, for example, a really a good example is Egypt. They've got a burgeoning paleontology community. And now when they go out in the desert, they do these excavations and they're finding a lot of dinosaurs. Whereas before you'd get like a British scientist would go to Egypt a few times and he'd try to find all the fossils he could he'd talk to local people (laughs) try to get some tips Mm -hmm. and they'd find some dinosaurs and bring them back to britain and study them but when you have people in the country that can go out every day all summer and do it every year you find way more stuff so that's been going on across africa a little bit a lot across south america and the biggest by far is china there are so many dinosaurs discovered in china all the time probably half the dinosaurs most years come from china because Every construction project you do, there's a chance when you dig in the ground, you're going to find a fossil, and they have a ton of paleontologists. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the feathered ones come from. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting point, just the fact that there's more places that are being made, that are being opened up to people that probably wouldn't have have had access to them before. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so, have you guys grown as hosts, you know, because... and. You know, I'm thinking about it from an interview perspective, like how, is your, how have your skills as interviewers improved, but just overall in terms of like how you coordinate episodes and how you plan them and, and even like the chemistry between you two, I imagine that's gotten much, much better over the course of the, the past uh, seven years. We've definitely gotten more comfortable when we're recording in terms of, you know, banter, 
cracking jokes kind of thing. In the beginning, we were, because we hadn't formally studied paleontology, we were very concerned, oh no, what if we say the wrong thing? They were basically just reading a script. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of double fact-checking. <laughs> yeah. When I listen to our early episodes, I always cringe because I'm like, oh, no, this is Garrett always <laughs> hopes no one listens to the early episodes. But we've had people tell us that they, they'll go on like ro- long road trips and they'll listen to everything. They're like, yeah. I love to hear how you've grown. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> we actually made an episode zero, and I made a episode, like a, a pre-roll for our first episode just to be like, because our first episode is about T-Rex, and we said several things that are wrong and outdated and things to say, like, we did a redo of T-Rex in episode 200. You might want to listen to that episode instead, <laughs> just because I was so worried that people would listen to the first episode and then be like, these people don't know what they're talking about, and the audio quality is terrible and all that kind of stuff. But I'm probably overthinking it. It's probably <laughs> fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And what, what do you guys have planned in 2022? Obviously, assuming there's no weirdness with travel, but uh, both podcasting conferences and or conferences related to what kind of conferences would it be if you're going there to check out dinosaurs? Well, the biggest one for us is called the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, and they meet every year. The last two years have been virtual. But next year, uh, it it changes from city to city, so that's how we ended up in Australia in 2019. And next year, it's going to be in Toronto at the end of the year. So if all things work out, we'll be in Toronto. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in like November. I don't know why they scheduled it for November in Canada, but (laughs) I guess what we're doing. (laughs) That's fun. Do you see that now as part, because this is full-time, it's important for you to be in front of these places where you could gain more listeners? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's also a place where we learn the most and we meet the most paleontologists in person. Yeah. So when we did that first road trip where we also got our first sponsors, somebody pointed out to us, just asked us, are you going to SVP? And we're like, what's SVP? And they're like, oh, Society <laughs> of Vertebrate Paleontology. And we're like, oh, we got to go to this. So we went that year and it was so much information overload, so many big words we didn't know yet. And just like absorbing all this stuff like a sponge. And then after that, I was like, we have to go to this every year. This is like the yeah. greatest thing. So we, we've gone every year that I've taken a lot of vacation time mm-hmm. back <laughs> to when, make sure we could go. Back when she still had a full-time job. <laughs> and we also, yeah, so with it, the other great thing that we'd get out of it, it's, it's just like a, a huge way to get tons of content because the other thing we'll do is in between talks when people are presenting and we're absorbing all this technical information that we can you know process and give to our listeners we'll also do lots of interviews so we usually would do like five or six interviews over the span of that week and set up way more interviews to do in the future so that's really awesome it's nice to be able to do in-person interviews because usually these paleontologists are in far-flung corners of the earth you know digging up dinosaur fossils sometimes they're in antarctica sometimes they're in mongolia all over the place and you want to hear about their work and it's nice to do it in person but that's almost always impossible unless you go to this conference now you've got me curious about what the uh evening festivities look like at those conferences oh they're awesome (laughs) great people really let loose so (laughs) paleontologists are very i guess they're maybe the most similar group to like cowboys or something it's cowboys it's very much like a they're like a fairly rugged bunch okay and they do a lot of drinking because when you're out in the field and it's 
there's literally nothing there. There's no cell phone signal. There's no other people. There's nothing to do. I would say there's a mix because as a paleontologist, you can go out into the field and dig for fossils. But there's other routes, too. Like um, There's a lot of people who spend their time in labs and a lot of people who spend their time doing analysis. So it's, it's definitely a mix. But yeah. they do know how to let loose. They all party. They have they, and there's, there's events almost every night too. There's, oh, wow. yeah, uh, there's of usually there's usually like a museum you can go to uh, after hours and, mm-hmm. and everybody and, it, and that's always fun because when you're hanging out with a group of paleontologists they kind of point out like oh this was mounted wrong or <laughs> I found this bone or <laughs> something yeah, like that. <laughs> there's nothing better than getting like some drinks and a paleontologist and wandering through a museum with them and <laughs> them just rip things apart. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Who would you say is the Indiana Jones of paleontology? I guess, well, Indiana Jones is basically based on a paleontologist. It's a guy named Roy Chapman Andrews. In the the 1920s, he was in Mongolia a lot. Yeah, and he he did this. They have videos, or I guess films, of this first expedition to Mongolia, which is crazy. Because even modern vehicles struggle with going out into the wilderness in Mongolia. He took like Model Ts basically <laughs> out there and they just dug up tons of dinosaur bones and brought them back to the U.S. Most of those have now returned to Mongolia, but that's where they found Velociraptor. That's when they found the first well-documented dinosaur eggs and nests and all sorts of stuff. And the dude looks just like Indiana Jones. He's clearly <laughs> okay. based. It's him. It's him. I know. Yeah. I'm going to agree it's him. <laughs> You were mentioning the eggs, and I wanted to think about some. What are your thoughts about this good or bad, this idea of trying to like bring dinosaurs back to life? I think it's fun, okay. and they should do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack Horner's been working on a Chickenosaurus for years now. Yeah. So, yeah, he calls it Chickenosaurus because the way, the most likely way to get a dinosaur isn't by finding DNA, because DNA doesn't fossilize or if it does it's very very fragmentary so you probably can't get the genetic code from a dinosaur the way they did in jurassic park but there are modern dinosaurs birds and so you can take a chicken and it will basically have almost all of the dna that was in a dinosaur but what happens is the genes just get turned on and off and expressed differently so people have managed to take a chicken embryo and inject it with different like, I guess, activating gene things (laughs) to make it grow teeth and to make it grow a snout and to change the way its feet are positioned a little bit. They haven't managed to make it grow a tail yet, but that's not the same kind of tail anyway. Yeah. That just sounds like it can, it's going to go like all sorts of wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The, The one benefit to doing it this way is they do it on a like per egg basis. You have to like actively do this stuff while it's developing. Okay. So you'd have one of it, but if it mated with another chicken, it would just be a regular chicken because genetically it would just be the same thing. So yeah, but I think it would be awesome if they could recreate like a T-Rex out of chicken modifications. I don't think humans would do well if there were T-Rex no. running no, around no. the world. Not in the wild. <laughs> yeah. that's well, sure. I mean, you don't need to go far. Look at the... Um, Siegfried and Roy, I mean, like, grew up with this animal that they, you know, supposedly had a great relationship with. And then at some point, oh, yeah, it's a tiger. Yeah. (laughs) And tigers are going to be tigers. (laughs) I think most reptiles are harder to control than cats. Anyone who's ever been to Gator World in Florida, like, just very quickly realizes, like, that's a 
tiny, 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 tiny version of a dinosaur, but <laughs> menacing and scary as all heck. Yeah. No Strong bite. Yeah. Yeah. Alligators, they are a really good analog for dinosaurs in a lot of ways too, because they're in a group called archosaurs. So they're, alligators are actually really close relatives to dinosaurs as well as birds. Okay. Very cool. Well, thank you for this uh, enlightening conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All about uh, dinosaurs and, and, and podcasting. I'm really excited for what you guys have put together. It's so inspiring to see folks that take their passion and put it to work and realize that there's going to be some bumps along the way in the beginning. But I think it's really admirable what you guys have put together. And I, I mean, I, I can just see nothing but good things happening for you. And I'm looking for that uh, sponsorship from the new Jurassic Dominion movie. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I got I to feel that that's in the works, but uh, really, really inspiring what you guys have put together here. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. we've kind of grown it too. Uh, just to add real quick, like, all the things we've learned, and since we were both able to now work on this full time, we did put together an online course for people called Complete Podcasting Course. And we've had, Very cool. we've had some students who are now, you know, they've recorded their first episodes. They're getting ready to launch soon, which is really cool to see. Awesome. Wow, that's very cool. Well, Sabrina Garrett, thank you so much for sharing your time. And where can folks learn more about the podcast? I know dino.com is probably the best place, our website, and that'll have links to where you can find the show, how to get in touch with us, our Patreon. But also if you just search Dinosaur Podcast in any of the apps, yeah, will come up. And then the course is completepodcastingcourse.com. Okay. That's not a bad domain. <laughs> it's a little long <laughs> a lot of the shorter ones are taken <laughs> thanks again for your time thanks yeah thank you thanks again to garrett and sabrina for coming on the show i really appreciate their lighthearted approach to the podcast but also admirable what they've been able to put together so i'm just always fascinated and appreciated by the the breadth and, and width of uh, all the types of shows that are out there. I'll never be able to speak to you all, but if you think we would make for an interesting conversation, me and you listening and you are podcast host, then uh, why don't you shoot me an email, harry at podcastjunkies.com. And uh, I'm happy to check out what's out there. There's no way I can stay on top of all the shows. And sometimes I discover new ones by virtue of folks reaching out. So maybe you should do that. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. If you want to learn more about how a podcast could be helpful for your business, check out this new video that I've done walking you through the steps every business owner needs to understand before launching their podcast at fullcast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Marla Jackson, founder of the Asa Collective. And if you made it this far, you know that waiting for that retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag I know Dino. I-K-N-O-W-D-I-N-O tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Garrett and Sabrina at I know Dino on Twitter. Thanks for all you to support the show. Really love you guys. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>